Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for January has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they really are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E, fly, and let them know you heard about them on 5x5. HostGator.com brings us today's episode, and they are a premier web hosting provider. If you're looking to start a website, HostGator can help you get started with monthly hosting plans, one-click installs, and tons of other features that make getting your site up and running easy. If you're a more advanced user or a business, HostGator can take care of you with reseller plans, VPS, and dedicated servers. HostGator guarantees 99.9% uptime, no matter your size or needs. If you're a WordPress user, you're going to love their one-click installs and optimized hosting platform. When you host with HostGator, you get unlimited disk space and bandwidth. They have free site builder tools that are super easy to use, but if you find yourself needing any help, they have 24-7 support to ensure everything is running smoothly. So head on over to HostGator.com to learn more, and when you decide to purchase, don't forget to use the coupon code DANSENTME to get 30% off of everything at HostGator.com. All right, my guest this week is Dave Say. He's hey. A, hey, uh, <laughs> you're an independent designer and entrepreneur. You've been, uh, you were previously, if I, if I have this right, you were a uh, game designer. Yeah, I guess I worked in the game industry. I was at a game startup back in the 90s. We uh, should say a video game, right? Like video games, video games. Computer, yes. yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, do you still play games a lot? I've been getting back into it. I, I took a, a break from the industry after I burned out in my 30s. But lately, I've been kind of been drawn back to the idea of being in a world, and we're seeing how worlds are developing. There's like a lot of amazing stuff that's out there um, that we just you know did couldn't imagine existing, or we thought we'd be dead by the time they came around. Um, so these days, I've been playing a lot of like uh, MMORPGs, just trying them out and seeing where they go. What uh, what era did you work in game design? Like, what were the big games in that era? This would be in nineteen early nineties. So we were a startup game company and uh, we were just, this was at the time when like if you sold 40,000 copies of anything, you were like doing really well. So was that like Earthworm Jim, like Wolfenstein era? Yeah, it was a little bit afterwards. I think the top, Warcraft 2 had just become AAA in terms of, it was like the biggest selling game ever. Sure. That was when Blizzard was still owned by Davidson Publishing and there was still like a handful of independent uh, software publishers. So um, this was after Doom, I think maybe Quake 1 had come out. Um, so after Ultima Underworld. So it was it was still, yeah, it was, uh, there were still adventure games, I think, were there? Maybe not. You know, things like uh, Monkey Island. King's uh, Quest. Yeah, King's Quest would go way back to my, I guess, Apple II days. Or Apple <laughs> days. But yeah, so it was like the game industry had not become the console-driven machine that it is now. Sure. It was computer games. It was people who were, they were happy they were able to sell, you know, like, you know, 20, 30,000 copies of something. Maybe the, the, mo- the contemporary game that we were compared to internally was a, a game called Descent, which was a 3D um, cavern explorer shooter. And apparently it didn't do too well numbers-wise. It did well enough shareware, but not in terms of sales, which led to the cancellation of our project, was the, which was, again, a, a top-down 2D shooter called Crixa that was being uh, published at the time, or being supported, I should say, by uh, Blizzard's um, external 
publisher department, which existed for a short time. What does top-down 3D mean? It sounds like you're standing above a barrel shooting fish. <laughs> that, that probably would be more fun. The uh, asteroids. So you have a ship. Yeah. It's, it's 2D. You're looking straight down. You don't have uh, rotation other than um, you know, uh, the angle. So oh, you, so you're like, it's like, so you're first person in the ship. Shooting. No, it's not even, not even first person. It's like old school. It's 2D. It's, oh, I thought uh, you said 3D. Didn't you say top down 3D? I thought I said 2D. Oh, maybe I'm just hearing things. Okay. Yeah. That makes more sense now. I yeah, top down 2D shooter. So it's like an asteroid style control scheme, borrowing some elements from a game called Sinistar. Um, and some of my old Apple II games, like, um, there was this game called Star Maze that you used to really like when I was a kid. Um, and so we, but where we just updated it, this was when, uh, DirectX 1 was first out. So, we, and we had access to, like, you know, very high speed, uh, composition of graphics on the fly, which you couldn't do before. So we could, you know, double the number of rotation sprites. It was all still sprite based. We were just using the 3D, uh, hardware to do very fast, uh, 2D rendering. You can still get away with today. So it's, it's awesome. Before you had to write every sprite, you know, pixel by pixel and do page aligned blitz and all this kind of stuff. Um, but it allowed us to do some cool stuff. But it wasn't a game that it wasn't the right time for the for that game. That and uh, team sizes had started to get big. We had a team of four, and around that time, um, a team of ten was probably what you needed to sure. get things done quick enough. So we had a window, and we we just missed it. But it launched a number of uh, everyone else's careers, I guess. So now, like present day, you are you're you're independent. You're working to create uh, a life as an independent uh, producer and creator. Yep. How what happened in between video game design and this? I, well, let me ask you this first. Do you consider yourself? Um, I have to phrase this right. I myself consider myself unemployable. Like yes. I have a very, very hard time going into an office, very hard time working under other people. Is <laughs> Do you feel that? We've worked for the same company, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, <clears throat> all right. So it might be just I've been spoiled. So before I worked in the game industry, I was like, I was a grad student twice, which probably didn't help. Um, I have a master's of engineering, electrical engineering from University of Rochester, which I don't think I really earned. And then I have an MFA in computer graphics design from Rochester Institute of Technology, which was down the street. So I'm kind of already used to working in an odd environment. And so I'm working in a game company is not like your typical, you know, kind of, you know, I guess office cubicle space. After that, I worked for Electronic Arts in Florida. And that was really more of a cubicle thing. But it was still weird. You have a bunch of people sleeping on the floor at night. You know, the deadlines are, are tough. There's this kind of weird jock macho thing that goes among on between the, the coders and stuff. And that was like a really depressing experience for me because I'd come from a very small, uh, personable game studio that where a bunch of our friends had started to something where, you know, okay, you have this deadline. You had to implement these features. Um, you don't have time to to let your artists be sick. Um, and I just, I didn't, uh, it was a different, different design environment. And this is around 2000, 1999, 1998. Um, that I left the industry just really burnt out. 
but I also made some decisions then that I wouldn't let myself be in that situation again. So that was the first seeds of, I guess, independence. Um, then after that, I started freelancing for the first time, which was, you know, at that time, 1999, you know, the internet was getting, you know, white hot and no one knew what a GIF was <laughs> or knew how to optimize a GIF. So I was doing like taking my graphics knowledge that had been, you know, honed doing like a lot of technical things uh, like, you know, compression or like, um, you know, doing palette optimization sure. for, for spike graphics. And I could apply that to the internet. I could make a page load fast. Um, I knew some scripting and some, some programming stuff. Um, you know, by comparison, the web stuff was like a little bit easier than, you know, doing the, the game graphics stuff, which, which you're building your own tools and you're, you know, trying to do things that other people haven't done before, you know, but I can, I could make, you know, a GIF up here. And I, at that time I was doing a lot more action script stuff too. Cause that was kind of a nice sure. bridge between you know, being being technical and being um, a little bit more, I guess, visually oriented. Um, so I did that for a while, and I joined a couple of web agencies. And then you know, this I was working at this one web agency where I had a really good working relationship with one of the creative partners. Like, and like where I live right now is actually two doors down from where he used to live. Um, but he passed away from uh, leukemia, like in two thousand three. And at that point, I developed a severe allergy to marketing, uh, which is what we were doing then. And that's when I went independent for the second time and started blogging uh, to try to figure out what I was going to do next. Because I didn't know. For all my life, I had been winding into the video game industry, doing computer games. And now I had gotten burned out on it. So what do I do next? This internet thing, like paid the bills. And then like having left... I guess, a, an office environment with real people, which was good in, in other ways. Um, I wasn't sure where to go. And independence, you know, like the, 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 bar, the bankable skills I had, which was doing video game type stuff um, and, you know, doing web stuff were not options I wanted to pursue. And so what was left was, you know, being more independent. So it's, it took me... So I was around 2004, 2005, I started blogging, and I actually liked um, being recognized for my own words. This was something I had been missing for a long time. And I think that was the, the uh, impetus for me wanting to pursue that. So, uh, so uh, now that you are, you're, you're blogging, you've been doing this for a while now, yeah. how do you... How do you see what you produced? Okay, is it are, is it paying the bills already? Is no. what you're creating? How how do you see taking it to a point where you feel truly self sufficient? Hundred dollars a day of profit. Is that all it takes? Yeah, I mean, like for me, just to pay my basic expenses. Like I have a I have a condo. It's it's paid for. You know, I have a line of credit on it, but it's not anywhere near the value of, of the place. I figured, okay, my monthly expenses, um, you know, the utilities, you know, electricity, maybe like $300. Then there's eating. Let's say that's $800 if I like to eat. Um, and then what else is there? Like, I don't have a car payment currently, even though I need, might need to get a new car soon. But it comes, it's, it's less than um, $2,000 or $2,500. $100 a day, 30 days a month, that's $3,000. Take home would be about like 2200 I guess. Right. And that would pay for everything. And I wouldn't have to do anything. 
or I could that would give me the freedom of time to pursue what I wanted to pursue, and that would just be gravy on top of it. <clears throat> so if I could come up with a way of making a hundred dollars a day, and you know, there's much I owe to reading uh, Tim Ferriss's book when it first came out, uh, the Four Hour Work Week. Yeah, um, that gave me the idea. Okay, this is this is probably possible. Um, I've been working on that like since 2009. I want want to say. Um, there was some products I made based on some design work I uh, uploaded for free on my website for tracking my own time because I'm I'm terrible at it, and I could see those sales start to start to trickle in, and and, and that's kind of what you do now. Uh, that's a big part of what you produce now is the like time tracking and uh, like what we, we forms. They're forms of sorts. Yeah, I used to call them the printable CEO. That was a this was a, a complete accident. I was a part of a, a blog network called Nine Rules at the time, and they had this forum and that's for members. And at the time, you know, everyone was interested in like, well, how come we loved this blogging thing? Is it a way of turning this into like a satisfying way of making a living? You know, pro blogging was on when people were talking about it back then as a new thing. And I remember there was this one guy in the forum who was asking questions about, well, how, what do people like from websites? Why do they visit? And then I quipped, like, oh, people love free downloads. You should put some free downloads in there. Yeah, they'll come back for you because they get something to, for free. And then they get to know you, and it's great. And this was before I had anything up on my <laughs> website. And uh, so, I, and then one day I was, like, sitting at my desk thinking, like, I really need to, to do something. I've been, like, procrastinating. I'm not writing this interactive guide to, to jo- uh, I'm sorry, action script because I was doing a lot more action script for uh, projects back then. And I thought, like, I really wish I had someone to tell me what to do. I'm kind of tired today of telling myself what to do, because I never listen anyway. Um, <clears throat> so I said, well, you know, maybe if I had my own CEO, that would be good. Uh, I can't afford to hire someone to tell me what to do and, and do it in the way I want. I mean, maybe I could print one out. That would be, that would be good. If I made one out of paper, put it on my desk, and pretend it was telling me what to do. And so I said, well, okay, let me make a list. Of, let me try to make that. And I've been wanting to learn how to use Illustrator for a while. Uh, and so I said, let me pull this thing up and see if I can make it work as well as uh, uh, Freehand did, which was my illustration program of choice at the time. Hated Illustrator. But I, made my, I forced myself to use it. I made this list of things that I wanted to do. And they were things that were close to money. So things that were really important was like cashing checks. Things that were supportive of that was showing people my work. Things that were supportive of that were just talking to people. And so once I made this sheet, like then I there was all this empty space on it, so I filled it out with like a weekly tracker thing. And I said, oh, I need to upload this to, to practice what I preached to that guy just a while ago. So I made a free upload, put it up there. One of the other uh, uh, Nine Rules net, uh, blog network members, uh, I think it was Bartlemy Designs. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Is he still around? I don't I know. I should check. Um, he, he liked it and he posted, I got 200 hits, which was for me, it was like amazing. 200 hits before I was getting like 10 of them, 12. And they were mostly from people I knew. Um, and so, and he thought it was a cool thing. And this was, you know, a complete surprise. And I liked the feeling sure. <laughs> of making something that people liked. I, you must feel like this all the time. Um, <laughs> Uh, so that was like that first bit of like of uh, of traffic crack that I had, and uh, I wanted to you know keep that going in as you know a positive kind of way as possible, and so that that led to this creation of all these various productivity tools. I would keep trying different things based on whatever challenge I was facing at the moment. 
um, the printable CEO, that first one, what I call the concrete goals tracker, that gave me sort of a high-level executive overview of what I should be working on. Everything else would be kind of a distraction. And then I was terrible at... Uh, you know, figuring out the sequence of tasks, or I wanted some way of, of keeping a to-do list that I could actually check off stuff for partial achievement. And I kind of went from there, just like, where's my time going? Well, let me make this thing called the emergent task timer. I was trying, I was think, trying to think of weird names for stuff. <laughs> um, so the ETT, and then so just so I could fill in these bubbles. That was, I guess, one thing that was kind of funny. Like, they made these like SAT, like Scantron bubbles <laughs> for everything. Okay, so honest question. Do you use all of the stuff you've made since then? Do you like all of the forms, everything? Do you put them to use? People will be disappointed here that I don't use them all at the same time and that they're not designed for that. They're really experiments. Um, yeah. I pull out the one that, that happens to be my mindset. I'm not, I'm not a very disciplined person when it comes down to managing my time. And I almost need this extra little quirky, um, tilt on it to make it interesting to me either sure. it has to be an experiment and i'm going to learn something from it or at least it amuses me in some way Game and of, like gamifying have, time management yeah i guess that's a good way of putting it although i don't like the term gamification well to me it it it, it, it implies some kind of black hat uh uh loading the dice kind of thing to me but mm, yeah to me but it, that's it, okay with time management I guess so. It, what what I don't like about it is it, it it sort of cheapens the game design part of it for me somewhat. In that, sometimes I think that people who are extolling gamification of things don't really understand game design and motivation. They think, oh, you assign some points to it, and then that will make it a game, and it'll be more fun. Uh, oh, maybe not. Yeah, I mean, often not. You can so like I'm always interested in, in what people's you know authentic experiences, how they're engaging the material, um, how they're feeling, where their head is at a particular moment, how you, how you manage those expectations and get them to that point, um, which may be overthinking it. It could be you just put points on anything and it works. It's kind of like when you can sell anything if you can shrink wrap it. That's kind of something I've been learning recently. <laughs> but it looks nice and you put shrink wrap on it and a price that ends with dot nine nine. People know how to grapple with that. They can say yes or no. Um, but you know, going back to your, your question, I don't use them every day. Um, I, see, I'm the same way. I, I'm, I've made a lot of stuff in the last yeah. few years and people constantly, they, they approach me with the expectation that because I made it, I'm using it. Yeah. But a lot of mine, just like yours were experiments just to see if it could be mm. done, see yep. if a problem could be solved. Yeah. And once I was done with it, I was done with that project. Huh. But it, but I put it out there as free downloads, which means that there are people using every, you know, there's at least one person out there using like every little script mm. I've, I've experimented with. Wow. Yeah. Which is a lot of stuff to support. Yeah. That, that's what I want to kind of get away from. Having yeah. To support. It sounds terrible. I know, but it's, I want my time free to experiment with these, with, with things or have these experiences. It's partly laziness. It's partly not wanting to be bored. It's, it's, and you know, you, if I feel this, I feel kind of irresponsible about, about it sometimes. I think at all, the same times, all of us, uh, independent entrepreneurs, if you will, yeah, feel that about ourselves. Feel like we are 
uh, lazy, undisciplined, maybe unworthy. And, and I think getting past that is probably key to success. But then again, a, a lot of us, we do, we're succeeding at what we do, even though we don't feel like it. But let's get to that in a second. Let me take a sponsor break and then I want to dig into exactly that. Okay. All right. So our second sponsor today is Shutterstock.com. Dave, you ever use Shutterstock? I don't think so. This sounds okay. interesting. It is. It is. If you've ever used a stock photo site, this is one of the best. Um, at Shutterstock.com, you'll find over 28 million images, stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and 1 million video clips. Start your search at Shutterstock.com to find that perfect image for your website, ad, publication, or any other creative project. Shutterstock.com gives you a global image collection to find images from around the world to suit your project. You can choose between image packs and monthly subscription packages, and you can choose whatever fits your needs and never have to compromise. Even if you just need one image for a blog or a mock-up, you can do that. Every time you visit Shutterstock, you'll find something new since they add 20,000 new images every day and 12,000 videos a week. And it's more affordable than you think with no extra charge for large files. You can download high-resolution files or whatever resolution you need and you only pay one price. They don't nickel and dime you for separate images. If you need them, you can just take them. Easily curate and share pictures via Lightboxes. You can choose your favorite pictures or videos as you search and add them to your own Lightbox gallery. You can also use the iPad app to do this. Then there's something called Enhanced License Access. If you like an image and you want to run it on print or swag for trade shows, they can get you an enhanced license for any image. They also have a huge library of vectors, icons, infographic templates, and video clips if you need any of those. If you need help at Shutterstock.com, you get an account rep dedicated to you who will answer any questions, and they have 24-hour support during the week. So, sign up for a free browse account at Shutterstock.com, no credit card required. And then when you find the images you like and you decide to purchase, use the offer code DANSENTME214 and get 25% off of any package you put together over at Shutterstock.com. Cool stuff. Yeah. All right. So what, what we're talking about, what I'm talking about anyway, is basically known as imposter syndrome. Mm, yes. Where you can say, I am an independent entrepreneur to everyone around you, but you, ha- you have your own doubts about whether that's actually something you're capable of. I'm not saying you. I'm saying a person with imposter syndrome. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I, I have this all the time. Like I, I call myself a developer. Yep. But my background is not in development. I'm self-taught. I feel very unworthy of the title developer. Yeah. And no one else has a problem referring referring to me that way, apparently. But I do. Where do you think that comes from? What what do you, how do you feel? So you tell, you tell me I'm a developer and a damn good one. How would you feel if you had to say that to me? I I would not, I would not feel uh, honest. It would be, it, I'm constantly comparing myself to other people and I see work way better than mine every day. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, it, it keeps me moving. It keeps me striving to get better. But at the same time, it almost makes me feel hopeless. Like I could never be that smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like that all the time too. I think I've, I've gotten to the point where I've gotten comfortable being, someone who makes things 
Um, and I even hate saying that because I haven't made very many things that I think are super cool. I, I guess ultimately, why am I doing this in the first place? Why do I want to be an independent entrepreneur? Uh, partly is I don't like working for other people anymore because, you know, it's, they have different, they have a different agenda. They have something that's, they're trying to achieve that doesn't really include what I want to achieve in it. You know, and we could be just, that's the way my work experience has gone. I haven't found the right company or whatever. Um, but there's these desire, this desire to make something that's really amazing. And I guess I compare myself to stuff that I see that's amazing. And, you know, like, like you, like I, I started out in, uh, computer engineering. Um, and to call myself a designer, it took me many years to, to get comfortable with. The only reason I use it now is because people understand what it means. <laughs> Before, I used to call myself like your know, variations of it that seemed more true. Like I'm an investigative designer, like or a communications designer. But uh, when I was doing more freelance design work, people didn't know what that meant, and it was sort of a term I, of convenience. Um, and even then, it was like they I was always concerned about what people expected of me. And when I say something, you know, my expectations tend to be up there you know like if if i my idea of being a good designer would be a universal designer if i was a developer i'd be a universal developer um so i could f meet everybody's needs i guess there might be this deep-seated desire just to to fit in to um to people not pleaser. disappoint people yeah. yeah and i don't really think of myself as that but you know when it comes down to it it's there's a good chunk of subconscious swirling around in there that wants, doesn't want to disappoint people. Doesn't want to let people down. Doesn't like to see, I don't like to see people feel like that. And that right there, that's why I'm doing this. I am, I've avoided all contract work. I've avoided anything this time around since I left my job on the 10th. Um, I've avoided taking the 10th of January. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, but I'm, I'm trying to avoid being responsible for anyone's disappointment. If I am free to create at my own pace and create what I want to create, put it out there and make people happy with it. Mm -hmm. That's great to me, but taking jobs where I'm creating what someone else wants me to create. And if I fail, then I've created disappointment. That is, that's a lot of stress on me that if I can be successful without taking on that stress, mm -hmm. I would be ecstatic. Mm. Do you think it's because you you and I are more sensitive in some way than other people? I think there is a personality difference. I think, I, I mean, I know that my personality is not the same as my friend's personality. Like there's something weird about me and I can't speak for you, but I have always felt very uh, different. I have thin skin. You mm. know, I can put up a great front Yep. But I'm a very thin skinned person. I take things really personally. Um, I'm very prone to depression and devastation and mm. drama. And like, mm. I've worked my whole life to kind of bury these things, mm. but mm. I'm definitely not what I don't think there's a normal, but I'm not like most of my friends. I, it's rare that I meet people with the same kind of personality. Yeah. Of course, yeah, me. My experience is the same in that, you know, I've always felt like an outsider. I think that's, that's maybe what pushes me. I, I've, as a kid, I was very sensitive to the difference between what people said and what they were really, really feeling. And I didn't even realize this for the longest time. Um, it made life very confusing for me. So people would say like, 
I don't know, like, uh, oh, sure, you, why don't you come in and, uh, and you know, ex- do something. And I would see the lack of enthusiasm in their face, and I would think they're just saying that because for, for whatever reason. And, and partly maybe it's been shaped by when I was nine, like I grew up in uh, rural, rural New Jersey as the only Asian, part of the only Asian family for miles around. Um, and so, you know, this is like, you know, late seventies, rural New Jersey, you're in the schoolyard and you're being called chink or gook and stuff like that. Not even like an interview in a mean way, sometimes in a mean way, but you're made to feel different. Yeah. Um, and then, then we moved to Taiwan where my parents are from, uh, in 1976, 77. And I was a stranger there again, even though I went to an American school. Um, all my relatives thought I was weird. Uh, like I was way too pasty for it to be a Taiwanese kid. I had long hair or like not buzz cut hair, which every kid under the age of 18 had to have because of their, um, their school uniform and uh, dress code. Um, so everyone thought that I was a girl, which was like really annoying. Yeah. I um, and then coming back to the States for college, you know, being really excited about being in a country where like I could read the books and the signs again. Um, not realizing I was, I was about to go through 10 years of reverse culture shock because I had no idea how anything worked. I couldn't order a pizza. I remember asking, so like, how do you order a pizza? And they looked at me like I had three heads. <laughs> order. I didn't like, we had grown up listening to like slightly different music. Um, I'd gone to a school that I liked going to in high school and I didn't, so I couldn't, couldn't have, didn't have the angst to like relate to other people that I knew. Um, and I was going to an engineering school too. So there was all this constant feeling like I don't belong here. I don't belong here. I don't belong here. And it was, um, I've come to expect that. Um, so disappointing people, you know, that's maybe that's an extension of that. It's, it's interesting to think about like the childhood influences or, um, um, uh, deprivations, I guess you could say sure. that shape our personality. So competence is another thing that's like this because, yeah, I was I was always confused by other people's explanations of things. Of terrible memory too, like in a, in, a, <laughs> in a language class. Like if someone if if you do that language exercise, listen and repeat, and the teacher says something, and I would always forget the first half of what they said, yeah, and I would I've struggle to remember there. And it's like you know, so there's issues of, of incompetence, I guess, and not expect expecting not to be appreciated. I think that's that's a driver of of, of my version of, of imposter syndrome. Um, yeah, let me jump back for a sec. You, you talked about as a kid uh, the the facial expressions versus what people were actually saying. Do you, looking back, think that you were correct often about that, or was it misgivings and and misguided assumptions? I don't know. These days, I think I can tell the difference, but. Yeah, I could be imagining it. Um, I do made, know I was a sensitive kid. Though. Yeah, yeah, I was. A, I was a really sensitive kid, and I thought all the way through maybe my twenties that I was, I was good at reading people, mm. and it became very clear in the last ten years that I am really horrible. Like everything <laughs> that I think I know about people is usually wrong, mm. and that's been quite a revelation for me. Now it's almost freeing to be able to talk to someone and just understand in my mind that I have no idea what they're really thinking. Right. I have to take things at face value because otherwise I will put words into their mouths and I will fret and lose sleep over them when yeah. they never even happened. Yeah. Yeah. This reminds me of some advice my uh, roommate Charlie gave me in, in grad school about driving. 
driving in Boston, particularly, he said they have brakes. <laughs> and so the way that this, this relates to this is that I sometimes wonder if I overthink what people are reacting. I had this, like, for example, like uh, I had a roommate, uh, another roommate, um, Alan, and I used to think he was pissed off at me all the time. He was just angry. And because if I, I was staying in this place after leaving uh, the game company, uh, living AA in, in Florida, and just trying to figure out what to do next. And I knew I was being a, a burden, you know. Um, he wasn't used to having someone in his space. You know, I was probably kind of a slob, too, and depressed all the time. And it occurred to me later, you know, even though he was irritated and inconvenient and stuff like this, he knew how to deal with it and he would deal with it because I was his friend and he sure. was my friend. And it occurred to me that like, you know, maybe, maybe other people, they don't put the sensitivity or, and the evaluation so forth forefront in their uh, calculus of friendship. They, they endure it, you know, they abide. And <laughs> that's, and that's, so I've been trying to work on abiding you much more to maybe I can still see what's going on. Like, sure, he's irritated that like I left some sort of mysterious clippings of something in his bathroom sink. But it wasn't a friendship breaker. Um, it hadn't gone to that point. He just he knew I was in this place and he was there for me. And that was cool. See, I've often had the opposite where I think people are okay with me and it turns out years later they were mad at me the whole time. <laughs> really? Wow. wow. That was especially when I, it comes to like now I'm girlfriends worried. girlfriends, roommates and shaving in their sink and things like that. Yeah. The stuff I thought I was getting away with. Huh. Maybe you can only do it with your friends, your true friends. Maybe. Because like that's the because they have a much greater picture of you. It's, they're not judging you by like like you know, 1% of 1% of what right. you, and your a greater, like. greater tolerance for those things too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cuz you have dirt on them. <laughs> Is that what it all comes down to? Ability to I blackmail. A mutually assured destruction which leads to camaraderie. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Mutually assured destruction that may be the title of the podcast. <laughs> um so let's see. So you're you're an idea guy, right? I mean, you you pretty much everything you're working with right now is ideas, problem solving, etc. Do you find it easy to translate ideas into products, into producing things? Hmm. Having the ideas is is easy. Yeah. At least having an unfleshed out like production ready idea is easy. It's, it's easy to say like, wouldn't it be nice if it was some software that would like help me organize my thoughts and be a thought processor and I could do all <laughs> these things. And like, it would be, it would be my constant like online companion available on all platforms. And then, um, <laughs> um, but then, okay, how do I make a page show up? <laughs> that becomes, yeah, right. like, yeah. So that, and that's a frustration I've dealt with a, with a long time. Um, Take, so, take the things that you have produced though. Like what, what was the process of going from the idea? Like someone posed a problem regarding the, uh, the printable CEO mm -hmm. and you came up with a solution and you worked out how to make it happen and you learned illustrator just to do it. What was the motivation process like for you? Was it, was it, Oh my gosh, I have this idea. I have to make it happen. Or did you mull it around at all? Did things get lost on the way? 
Sometimes it, it really is just the impulse that this might be cool and I can make this right now and I don't have to work on that other thing like clearing out the cat box or yes. taking out the trash. And so you know, there's that idea of being, um, what was it? Some guy wrote this, this article about procrastinating productively. Yeah, productive procrastination. And so like if, if I could redirect the energy and, and take it and harvest it somehow, that would be just as productive, even though it wasn't like a, like a, a factory, like, you know, disciplined way of doing things. So, you know, oftentimes it would be, you know, so it, sometimes it's an easy thing. It's just a modification and I can just mash stuff up. Um, the Emergent Task Planner, which is probably the most popular thing I make right now, is it's kind of a mashup of three earlier experiments. Um, and I didn't think anyone would like it at all. But someone just said, wouldn't it be nice if I could have this part from this and this part from this? And yeah, that could be good. I could put that on a page and upload that. And then everyone liked it. And I was going, huh, so, I, don't understand, I don't understand what I do at all. <laughs> is it a matter of how, uh, like how overwhelming a task is? Like, Do you find, if you can see the end of a task when you start it, if you know the end and you know how to get there, those are easy to tackle. Do you, do you find like if something is a little overwhelming or you don't know quite how to get where you want to go with it, is that the stuff that you procrastinate on? I often think I know exactly how to get to where I want to go. What gets me in trouble is the, my impatience and, uh, frustration with bad process and documentation. I let that affect my <laughs> affect me way too easily. For example, like this idea of this thought processor, this has been in my mind for the past 15 years, right? And, you know, I, I can see what it would look like in my mind. You know, like I've done a lot of interface design, like I, I have a certain way of structuring information. I have all this experience making these, these um, um, productivity tools. Um, but the thing that gets me irritated, okay, let me pick a development environment. Oh, this one looks like it sucks. I can't tell if it's good or not. Let me download it. I don't like the installer on this. They misspelled that. Where is it going? Um, oh, this is the old installer. Look, and everything looks the same. Why is everyone using the same widget library? This widget library sucks. Let me look at this documentation. Oh, it's listed alphabetically. That's helpful. Um, <laughs> like, give me some concepts on, about this. And, or I can't believe that like a widget tool set still hasn't figured out event managing in a way that works right. You know, so these are the, and then I get distracted by this sort of are, stuff and they go, oh. are those excuses though? Are they, I mean, are you looking for excuses not to start or are they legitimate? Like, I just can't work with this. It's, it's me whining really okay. what it comes down. It's, it's me, uh, not being good at learning in certain ways. And like, I've had a number of insights about this over the year. And it's funny thing is it's the same insight every time. The first time, like, like I remember taking this, uh, differential equations course in undergrad and, uh, I'm not very good, ma good at math. You know, I'm good at like, uh, I don't know, playing with computers. Um, not so good at math, but the math teacher for this course, instead of being one of the ordinary engineering department professors, it was a math professor. He was in the math department and he loved differential equations and the passion of what he was talking about would come out he would show how he would derive from here and he would show tell us about the history of this particular equation and i was like being enthralled by it i couldn't do any of it but i tried and so every exam i took i got like a 30 percent or 40 percent <laughs> on it and i would get a lot of good try but you're off by one or like that's not quite how it meant but like we yeah, they were encouraging because i was trying to recreate what they did and there was this other friend uh, um, one of my college roommates who um, I didn't regard as being particularly like, you know, um, you know, mathy, let's say. 
and he was getting like 80s, 90s, 100s. You know, it was really surprising to me. So I asked him like after I took that fast that last exam, and you know didn't do so well on it. I think I squeaked at a D in this class. And uh, he and I said, "How did you do that? Like I found all this problem trouble like deriving this stuff, and like you know I tr- I tried and tried and tried, and I still did bad. And and you got these 90s. What was it? Did you have a secret to this? And he said this. He said if there's a constant added to the end, use formula form A." If there isn't, use formula <laughs> form B. And that was it. And the, what I learned from that was, okay, I'm overthinking this, and there's a simpler way of doing this. The other thing I learned was that a lot of the things in engineering, like I expected them to be kind of revelations about the way the universe works. Um, when actually it was, we made a bunch of stuff up. We have these units called coulombs. They're negative because <laughs> the first guy who measured charge on something reversed the sign of something. And then we turned out, it turned out that the charges were negative. So now they're always negative. That's why it's like this. Um, or this system of, of things that, that spin around and we call them Euler equations. Well, that's just a game that someone made up and you just need to rule, learn the rules of the game. Where I was looking at this stuff, it's like, what's the secret of the universe I can learn from Euler? <laughs> and it was like this, and I realized, like, math is the same way. And part of the, that is, like, originally I was going to be an English major before choosing engineering. And it occurred to me that when mathematicians are using English, they're actually using a programming language. And I didn't realize this. So, simple example. When a, a math person says, let X be the da-da-da-da-da-da, uh, to me, I, when I hear the word let, I'm thinking arbitrary decision. Let's pretend. Let's make an imaginary idea that there's this thing. They mean it is exactly this. Yeah. And so just having that wrong mindset going to all these equations and not, and again, thinking that these were secrets to the universe that were being revealed to me, they're just patterns, patterns that people made up and they refer to the patterns as proofs. And they're not proofs in the sense like there's a secret of the universe here. There's like a dark, like humanistic, like uh, reveal that's about to come. Um, you know, Planck's constant doesn't unlock the universe. It's this convenient form that came up that they could use to advance a system of thinking that doesn't necessarily tie back to anything else. I was always looking to figure out how it tied back to everything else. And that slowed me down. And I guess getting back to the whole programming thing, um, I like looking at, at, uh, I guess systems in general, including programming, as having as being self-evident and self-consistent, and solving all your problems. And, it well, sounds least, like you always want everything to be a complete solution. Yes, which and would give I, you a very like kind of skewed perspective when you're looking at like programming frameworks. I just like them to make sense, and what sometimes and there's always a missing piece of it. Like yeah. when I was looking at knockout JS the other day, then looking at the ko.observable declaration, mm-hmm. the kind yeah. of thought that goes through my mind is like, what is an observable? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, is it, uh, is it observing a variable or is it something else? Is it a noun or is it a verb? How does this actually connect with everything? How does this magically update itself? See, but uh, instead the, of frustrating me, those things fascinate me. Like my problem when I'm trying to choose a framework is everything new and shiny fascinates me and I want to try them all. Yeah, I just want the thing done. That's kind of my <laughs> attitude about. It. I do after after I warm up to it. I do like that kind of stuff. I actually just finished 
uh, blueprinting my understanding of what Knockout JS does. And then, oh, K Observer returns an object. It doesn't wrap an object. And then after that, it kind of made sense. So they must be managing this. this must, it's a factory method, and it must be managing all these things behind the scenes. And tie, and it's a function that's returned as an object, not a regular object. And you know, so that then it became very interesting to me. But up to then, you know, it was like, uh, I just want to make this thing done so I can have the experience of of organizing my thoughts or making a ship spin around the screen. Nice. Um, well, so, that went somewhere fascinating. Oh, good. <laughs> that, that question, you know, I, I don't even remember what the question was now, but that was that I really enjoyed that part. Um, I'm going to take our third sponsor break and then it'll be time for the top three. Ooh, okay. All right. So our third sponsor today is Squarespace, the all in one platform that makes it easy to create your own website for a free trial and 10% off. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer code Valentine. Squarespace is constantly updating their platform with new features, new designs and more support. They have beautiful templates for you to start with and tons of style options for you to adjust so you can really create your own space online. Everything is drag and drop, so it's easy to add content from your desktop and even rearrange elements of content within a page. Squarespace makes your, make sure your site automatically looks great on any device because every Squarespace website has its own unique mobile design. You can easily connect Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Instagram, Google, and many more web and social services. Squarespace also has e-commerce on their platform, so if you want to set up a shop and sell things, you can in just a few minutes. It's incredibly easy to use, but if you ever need help, there are over 70 Squarespace employees on the customer care team based in New York City. They're available for live chat during the week and have super fast email support throughout the day and night. All right, so listen up, Squarespace fanatics. Now is the time you can apply to be a part of the Squarespace team. Squarespace is looking to hire 30 engineers and designers by March 15th. This means they're inviting potential candidates, and yes, that's you, and their spouses to be New Yorkers for a weekend, completely on them. If you want to hang out with little Ryan and gaze upon his long, luxurious locks in real life, <laughs> check out the beapartofit.squarespace.com to learn more. As I said earlier, you can try Squarespace for free, no credit card required, and if you decide to purchase, it starts at just $8 a month and includes a domain name if you sign up for a year. Make sure to get 10% off and support the show by using the offer code VALENTINE. So thanks to Squarespace and uh, uh, I read that all wrong. Thank you to Squarespace for supporting 5x5 and Systematic. Thanks, Squarespace. Thanks, Squarespace. I like Squarespace. I do too. Yeah. I like their advertising too. They have good commercials. Mm. Yeah, it's good to see them like getting out in the mainstream media. That's like really exciting. Yeah, they're pushing pretty hard. Yeah. All right. So, what's your first top pick this week? My top pick. I'm thinking theme wise. Um, kind of a side question, like about. I want to pick something that reflects a weirdness of myself that's close to me. Um, I've been thinking about like why I like people who are like non-mainstream or weird. Um, I'm not sure why I do, but I guess the first thing I'll pick is based on my love for input devices. I keep buying them. I keep blowing all sorts of money <laughs> on keyboards and like, oh, don't get me started. The latest one I've gotten that has made me unexpectedly happy, more so than I thought it would, is the Logitech K811 Bluetooth keyboard. 
And the cool thing about this is it has three buttons to pair with three devices, and it actually works. It works really well. I press this, I'm on my Mac, I press this, I'm on the iPad, I press this, I'm on the on the PC, and it doesn't like take minutes for that to happen. Nice. It's awesome. It's a nice size. It even because it's a little bit smaller than the Apple Bluetooth keyboard, so it fits in all the cases. Nice. That's my pick. Awesome. Um I uh I'm going to go ahead and do my first pick because it's related. I haven't had a chance to really thoroughly test this yet, but I just picked up this thing called the tap from a 10 and it's oh, is that uh, that Bluetooth KVM thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you can plug in a wired keyboard. Mm. Uh, so like I could plug in my DOS keyboard, I suppose. Mm. Um, and then, uh, and then just tap it to flip between say your iPad, your iPhone and your desktop. So you can turn any keyboard into something similar to what you're talking about, but I don't know if it works nearly as well as as your tried and, and proven Logitech keyboard does. So you haven't gotten it yet, or I have it. I have it in my hand right now. I haven't haven't had the time. I've been uh, rearranging my office. I'm putting a new walking desk in. Oh, nice. Because um, I have a walking desk right now. Yeah, and I love my next desk. I love it. Like it's oh, like microprocessor so controlled up and down. Oh, but so good. But I I want the I want a permanent walking desk, and then I'm going to use this one as a standing sitting desk. Oh, okay, so yeah. I'm putting in a permanent walking desk and moving my treadmill over to that. Mm-hmm. But does uh, it face a window? It does. This is an nice. eight foot window that looks out over the valley. Wow. Yeah, it's a good view. That should be a screen. You should put like a desktop wallpaper up so everyone can have <laughs> Brett Terpstra's view from his walking desk. I, uh, I bet you could sell that for a couple bucks. <laughs> I'll wait till summer though, because the view <laughs> in the winter here is depressing. Oh, a bunch of a whole bunch of dead. Uh, are you in Minnesota or are you yeah. on the west? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've always wanted to visit Minnesota. <laughs> well, although you're making me think, why? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, there's a reason I still live here. I do love it here. I do. Um, I wouldn't, uh, it would take, it would take quite the, uh, the offer to get me to move away from Minnesota. Uh, I keep coming across people who I find fascinating from the very get go. And they, there's like a 50% chance that they're from Minnesota. It's (laughs) weird. It's so totally weird. I don't know why this is. So I need to go to there and find out what's going on. You can come to Minneapolis. I'll meet you there. And I'll introduce you to some of the very fascinating people that live right there in the city. Done. <laughs> Maybe right. not this year, but you know, when this whole creative independence $100 a day work thing works out. Yeah. Awesome. Look me up. All right. Well, what's your, we'll, we'll move on because I think these are pretty self-explanatory thus far. What's your number two? My number two, I'm going to pick a cartoon. I'm sorry if you don't like cartoons, but this cartoon rekindled feelings from my childhood self that I hadn't felt in quite some time. And that is the 2012 reboot of Space Battleship Yamato called Space Battleship Yamato 2199. Listeners in the States probably think, remember this more as Star Blazers. And the amazing thing about this is that you, you know, when you go back and you, you watch a, a favorite cartoon from when you were like six or seven or you know, nine or 12, um, it's not quite as good as you remember it. Uh, you've 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 become much more sophisticated in your understanding right. of people. And uh, Star Blazers or Space Battleship Yamato is like one of the ones that doesn't age very well. Um, 
it's 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 kind of unwatchable for me <laughs> but this it's like all modern animation and it's it captures that sense of spirit uh, of achievement you know, the, the way that you would feel from a show like star trek yes uh, space battleship yamato is japan's star trek essentially okay uh, in, in terms of like how close it is to the psyche of a certain generation of people and this is this this has been described as like um one of the best reboots ever, even if you include like the recent Battlestar Galactica reboot. It's, it's like it's a really, really nice piece of storytelling. It's a little bit, you know, I guess you could say corny, but you're so caught up in it <laughs> that, that you don't you don't uh, really see it. You just see that as being part of the entire Yamato sphere. It's got spaceships and uh, shooting stuff, and like it's got airplanes flying around. And it's got like you know interesting characters. It's a good ensemble cast. Um, yeah. What kind of what, what what is it like Japanese anime like more American cartoon style? It's anime, so the character okay. designs will look the way that you expect with anime. Um, it's less silly than the original. Sure. It, it, it you know the way it plays out is very much like a. It does remind me a lot of Battlestar Galactica, um, and the way that the the character arcs develop and things. But good, is good it plot lines? I would say so. I enjoyed it. But then again, like I kind of like cartoons to begin with, like someone who um, watches all the Oscars may not be so involved. What it really pulls <laughs> in on is when I, when I was a kid and even now I love spaceships. Sure. <laughs> I used to draw them all the time and I have I still have this folder full of all my spaceships I drew from the fourth grade to uh, my senior year in high school. And this just kind of taps into that deep, deep, deep root for me. That's one of my, I guess, weirdnesses. I, I, I think that's that's actually normal enough for at least for kids. I can't speak for adults. Yeah, I'm an adult now, so I cannot <laughs> sh- it's not the sort of thing you bring up in polite company. Gotcha. Unless you see a toy on someone's shelf. I used to love stuff like uh, Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, Akira, but yeah. I never got into the, like the weeklies. Yeah, this was more of a well, the Ghost in the Shell, the movie. Yeah. Yeah, there's like five, there are three or four series that came out of it. Well, I actually didn't really? like Ghost in the Shell the movie that much because I'd read the manga, like, uh, before. and so it was, it. yeah, it ruined it for me. <laughs> I can't watch it, but there is a television version of it, version of it called uh, Standalone Complex, which it's tedious in some ways, but it also captures more of the ensemble cast like thing. You'll have to educate me all about this stuff sometime. Okay, you'll re- you'll will regret read it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, my second pick is I've been going through pinboard clients on my iPhone, and I had like six on here, and I've whittled it down. And the truth is, all almost all the pinboard clients are quite good. And pinboard is a bookmarking service for anyone who doesn't know about it. Oh, uh, similar to Delicious. Um. And the one that I've come down to is called Pushpin. And Pushpin. Yeah, and I don't remember the price. It's not they're all about the same price between like two and five dollars. But uh but Pushpin just came out to be the one that did the most of what I expected it to do. Because I'm giving these kind of cursory overviews. Mm-hmm. And uh it, like I said, they're all the last five that were on my phone were all good, and I, I almost feel bad for narrowing it down to one. But but pushpin. If you have a if you have a uh, link in your clipboard, you open it up. It offers to add it. It you, you know you put in a URL, grabs the title. It can grab uh, short descriptions, 
type in your tags and then you can browse. You can see mobilized versions of any of the bookmarks that you already have bookmarked. You can see your network friends bookmarks. You can see your different categories. And that's pretty much it. You know, I mean, that's what more do you need a, a pinboard client to do? And it does it, it does it with a nice iOS seven style. Some of the other ones that are really good haven't really updated their look yet. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, that's a turnoff. Like I like to know that things are keeping current, both design and functionality wise. Yeah. So yeah, push pen. It almost sounds like I have never seen it before, but it almost sounds like a, a social media network that's based around links. That's it's actually called the anti-social bookmarking service, but it, but it has <laughs> social features where you can, you can anonymous, anonymously subscribe to other people's links uh-huh. and see anything that that person makes public. You can get in your network feed. So you can subscribe to like fascinating people like Mac drifters are really good one to subscribe to. Uh, it's like Gabe over at Mac drifter bookmarks, all these great Python and programming and productivity things. And they just show up on my, I use Delhi bar on my local machine and, uh, and they just kind of, they feed in there and I see what he's up to and what my other friends are up to. And I, I, half the stuff I find on the internet, I find through pinboard. Mm. Mm. Do you use pinboard services primarily to save stuff that you don't want to forget or are you using it more as a social connection tool? Mostly it's mostly for stuff I don't want to forget. I don't use bookmarks in my browser at all. Yeah, they suck. I use I use pinboard because it's it's there for every one of my browsers on any device. I have like a universal bookmarking system. Mm. And then pinboard also has a, the full delicious API implemented. Mm. So I can automate certain tasks. Like, uh, like the web excursions on my blog pull from pinboard and I just add a specific tag to the post that I want to talk about on my blog. And wow. those posts are generated automatically when I click a button. I love it when you don't have to enter data again. Absolutely. That's awesome. That's, that's the story of my life. If I have <laughs> to do something twice, I'll spend an extra hour making sure I don't have to do it a third time. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm very much <laughs> like that too. I think it's that attitude that makes people a programmer. Or developer. So, I mean, if if you're going back to the imposter syndrome stuff, just having that mentality, I think that puts you you're right in the, the correct camp. Right. Well, yeah. plus, it's it, it also makes you a person who likes to share what you do because if you are that kind of person in private, you would drive yourself nuts with the amount of time you waste. But when you share something, you, when you share the solution to the problem, and other people benefit from it and possibly even pay you for it. Mm-hmm. Then all that extra time you spent automating something becomes yep. legitimate. Yes. Yes. All right. So what's your third pick? I don't know. So many things to pick from. I wrote this huge list of you did. I saw of stuff that was on my mind this week. I just would write it down every time I thought of something. I think you should talk about the uh, salt gun. Okay. The salt gun. There's, there was this Kickstarter a while ago about some artist in I want to say California was displeased with the methods he had available to kill flies. Hates flies. Fly swatters, you try to hit a fly with a fly swatter, fly moves away. I mean, you can't grab them with your hand. And so he, he had the idea of making this, this, um, <laughs> this pneumatic uh, shotgun that shoots salt. And so it's kind of like uh, if you've ever had like a, a pump action pellet gun, it has that. It, it's it uses air, and there's a little chamber in front of this this compressed tube, tube, 
that will has salt in it. And you can so you pump it like a shotgun, it loads a little bit of salt in this chamber, and then it shoots a spray of salt out that's effective to about five inches, which is close enough to get to a fly. And so you get you you go up to it, pump it, and move really slowly up to your fly, and then you pull the trigger and the salt comes out and stuns it and it falls down. If you get too close, it will splatter it, but it's enough for, to take it out of action. Um, so it's great on windows, and because it's just regular salt, you know, it's not pesticide. Um, it's readily available, and this thing did really well on Kickstarter. People just love the idea of this. Um, have they so shipped have, it? Yes, this was like a couple number of years ago. I have one. I wonder if I can reach it here without unplugging. <laughs> of course, you can't see it, but I'll just rack it. So, oh, that sounds harsh. And I had to put the safety in. <laughs> it shoots pretty well, and it's um, they don't actually have that many flies around. But <laughs> conceptually, <laughs> this is a great thing. This is this is American innovation. If I Even ever do have a fly, yeah, and you go, you know, I need to get that fly, and I know this thing will work. Nice. And I know if you've ever tried to like creep up on a fly with a fly swatter. Oh yeah. You know, and as soon as you move the fly, like they have all those eyes and they can just see the movement. But with this this gun, it has like a narrower profile, so you can just kind of have smooth slow. The flies doesn't know what's coming, and then boom, too fast for it to react. Really excellent. Brilliant. A little bit messy, and I don't really like having salt all over my house, so I don't use it all that often. But when the occasion calls for it, it's nice. ready. All right, I have nothing to add to that. It's it's just impressive on its own. Um, my last pick is going to be. Ember. Ember from Real Mac. Um, it's uh, like a photo and screenshot management application that's it, it's designed for capturing web pages primarily, and you can you can manage all kinds of other images with it, but you can annotate. They just added uh blur and annotation functions uh cross platform to both iOS and Mac. And they they added auto import, so you can have like live folders, basically that you add images to a folder, and they import into Ember, which is to me a very very useful feature. Hmm. It's uh it's it's compact, it's lightweight, and it's powerful. Uh, it it by lightweight I mean it's it's speedy, it's a fast, it's one of the fastest of its uh genre, and uh, but it does everything I need it to. It's been uh, I've only been using it. It's been out for a long time. I've only been using it for a, about a month now, but I'm really enjoying it. I'm intrigued. Okay, it's right. not cheap. On a Mac, I think it's fifty, but uh, but worth it if if uh, if your needs stretch into screen capture management. I guess they don't really. Yeah, not yeah. everybody's do. In fact, I would say it's a it's a niche audience. And I'm always jealous because they do some really great video and web design that yeah. the, the, the developers do. Yeah. So their screenshots are always full of like the best stuff and <laughs> always look way better than my collections. Yeah. Do you kind of miss the design stuff? No, 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 too subjective. Mm. I don't mind. I don't mind designing my own stuff, Yeah, but doing design work for clients was just, it, it drove me nuts. I I'm done with it. I'm done. Yeah. Some things, like starting a business or protecting your family with a will, aren't like your other New Year's resolutions. You can't afford to blow them off. Instead of less snacking and more exercise, put them at the top of your list. LegalZoom helps you incorporate or form an LLC with their simple questionnaire starting at just $99. 
Over 1 million entrepreneurs have done it, and 90% of their customers recommend LegalZoom to friends and family. You can also create a will starting at just $69 or even a living trust quickly and easily and get peace of mind and protection. No surprise fees, no hassles, and no headaches. LegalZoom's step-by-step process was created by a team of experts in law and technology. LegalZoom is not a law firm, but can connect you with a third-party attorney and provide you with self-help services. From wills to business formations, trademarks, powers of attorney, and more, go to LegalZoom.com. For even more savings, type 5 by 5 into the referral box at checkout. Don't put off the things you need to do. Go to LegalZoom.com and now and use the discount code 5 by 5 It's LegalZoom.com, discount code 5 by 5 All right, so you are on... Your Twitter, your Dave Say, right? D yep. D A V E S E A H. That's correct. I read your post on the various pronunciations just within your own family. Yeah. <laughs> but uh but we'll go with Say. Say that's and, what uh, I've been doing it. Are you on app.net at all? No, I am not. Okay. Skip that one. Uh you have a website at davidsay.com. Yep. Any other websites you want to mention? Um, I have a Facebook page. Um, I think it's davesay.com, but, uh, we can put that in the show notes. Yeah, sure. But, you know, otherwise I might, I've been, uh, not really working so much on the web presences as much as maybe I should, but I'm just trying to get deprogram myself of using that kind of language. Like I should be doing this or I have been <laughs> doing this. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I'm trying this year, I'm trying to figure out like where I should put, uh, the effort in a way that it's more effortless and not me worrying about stuff all the time. Uh, your products are all available at davidsay.com, right? Yes, you can find links there. Okay. If you go to davidsay.com slash productivity hyphen tools, you can see that's, that's probably a good starting place you know, just right. to, to see, you know, link to the Amazon store and it might link to the um, other store I set up with Shopify. Um, but I'm not really doing a lot of business on that yet. Gotcha. All right. Well, it's been great having you here. This has been a, a fascinating conversation. Yeah, this has been great. I'm so glad to make your acquaintance. <laughs> come to Minnesota. I'm going to come to Minnesota like when it's warm. Yeah, no, I, I do. I do recommend waiting till at least these- June. It snowed in May last year. How long is your summer? Uh, it's a couple weeks. We get maybe three or four. <laughs> okay. That's- no, I mean usually May is pretty warm. Yeah. Warming up, you know, and then we're good through. End of August. September right. starts to cool down. Yeah. I wonder if it's colder than it is up here. It probably it is. is. It we is. don't have trees. It is, but we don't get ice storms like you do up there. Oh, do you have poisonous snakes? We do. We have rattlers. Oh, you have rattlers. Okay. The Northeast is pretty good for the, as far as natural disasters or natural dangers go, the Northeast is, only has snowstorms, basically. No earthquakes, no scorpions, no snakes, no... um um, I said earthquakes already. I get inland enough, so there's no tsunamis. We yeah. get, we, we, uh, I was surprised to read that Minnesota has the highest number of tornadoes in really? the country. I huh. I live in the unglaciated part of Minnesota, meaning it's all hills and valleys, and tornadoes break up as soon as they hit the ridges. Mm-hmm. So I've never actually seen a tornado, hmm. but apparently I live in a dangerous state for that. Oh. Huh. You must live in a tornado, anti-tomato microclimate or something. There you go. Why aren't you living in San Francisco? Or is that like coming later? Why aren't I? Yeah. It's it's so crowded and busy. And I live in a small town in Minnesota. 
Oh, okay. And I, that's what I, I love. I love, I'm a small town boy. It turns out mm. I love it here. I didn't in high school. I went to high school in the town I live in. Now I came back to that to oh, Winona and, uh, yeah, we're, we're okay. <laughs> this is all another podcast, I think. Okay. All right. So, all right. Well, I am TT Scoff on the Twitters and the app.net and everywhere. And you can find me at brettterpster.com. And I'll mention again that uh, feel free to record a five-minute recording and introduce yourself if you would like to uh, either m- make a new friend or be on Systematic and drop uh, drop the recording off at brettterpstra.com slash audio drop. And uh, I've been hearing from a lot of great people, and thanks to everyone who's sending them in, and I will try to be in touch with all of you. Um, and that is episode 83. Thanks again, Dave. Thank you. That's great. We'll see everybody in a week.